Digital Drift, episode 62, recorded Friday the 4th of April 2014, Hulk. Look at you. Off to college to be a great scientist. Like your father. There's something inside you so special. Someday you're going to share it with the whole world. Let's hit the gamma radiation. Right, Ang Lee's Hulk was a concerted effort on the parts of producers Gail Ann Hurd and Avi Arad to make a grown-up and serious film based upon the Banner Hulk premise. They recruited gifted dramatist Ang Lee as director and focused on a cold, calm, nerdish Bruce sitting on a raft of repressed memories and contained rage. This details the origins of the Hulk as being unleashed by the botched Gamma experiment, but something that had been with the man since birth, due to the meddlings of his deranged father. The transformation causes unbelievable tension and anxiety between Bruce and his colleague and former girlfriend Betty, and she becomes a life raft for him as the military close in, eager to tap his new physical form for super soldier potential. All the while, the mad dad is back and barking like an inebriated hobo, or indeed one of his grotesque Hulk dogs. Universal pitched this dark, intense, and upsettingly angry relationship drama. action film at the Super Bowl in 2003. Audiences turned up in droves, hoping for bombastic Hulkamania, and went away confused, unsettled, annoyed, and disappointed. It made $245 million, one-sixth of what the Avengers would eventually take nine years later. 
And today we're going to ask, why didn't people like it? And is there merit to be found today in this first outing for the Jade Giant? So Sharon, you weren't actually here when we talked about the Incredible Hulk, were you? Mm. Uh, I honestly can't remember, which suggests that I probably wasn't. You weren't. You didn't join the Marvel team until Thor The Dark World. Okay. Oh, actually, no, hang on. You were there for Iron Man 3. Okay. But you weren't there for the first, for phase one. (laughs) So now you get to talk about Incredible Hulk as well, because it, it, uh, it, more than any other film combo, stands as a direct comparison to this so we're gonna have to talk about it in in reference to the uh the original outing uh, simply because they did things very differently yes so uh, what are the best aspects of ang lee's film you know just off the top of your head i would say the the best thing for me far and away is jennifer connelly as betty and the character of betty the way she's written in this they've gone for realism and if you watch the behind the scenes stuff they they make no bones about that they have attempted or Ang Lee has attempted and he's made everybody else attempt to go for the most realistic storyline that you can have with a man that turns into a big green monster and as a result I was really quite impressed by the fact that your average hero girlfriend does not come across as human and three-dimensional as Jennifer Connelly comes across in this. Now, a big part of this is simply her acting abilities, which are excellent. But little things that you don't necessarily pick up on them straight away, it's the absence of them when compared to, for example... Sue Storm in the Fantastic Four. There you um, go. So the fact that um, rather than simply being told that Betty is a clever scientist, we actually see her doing science. She is in the lab. She is researching. She works with Bruce. They are working on something together. You commented um, that they, when they discussed their um, the former relationship, that it appeared that they were breaking up like adults. Exactly, yeah. There is, there's no big teenage drama, heart-rending, oh my God, you've destroyed my life, or anything like that. It, it's, you know, they acknowledge that they attempted to have a relationship it didn't work for various reasons, which, while they both acknowledged them, neither of them seemed to be feeling particularly vindictive and bitter about. And they still have to work together. And they seem to have found a way to, to be able to do that and go forward with that, which was incredibly impressive and not the sort of thing that one normally expects to see in a superhero movie. Uh, so I praise the original Iron Man for delivering us grown-ups, but, uh, well, Pepper Potts is a grown-up. Mm, yeah. 
<laughs> not Tony Stark. She certainly is. 12% of a grown-up. Um, uh, an argument can be made for 14. <laughs> but there's one particular thing that I noticed with, uh, with Betty in this, and it's tiny. It's a throwaway thing. But there's a scene where she's in her cabin on her own, and she's drawing. She's sitting on the floor doing some kind of portrait, some kind of pencil sketch, just doing something just for her. That is immensely rare. Is this the time when Hulk is coming to save her from the Hulk dogs? Yes. Well. I mean, I know exactly. She had to have something to do so that the Hulk dogs could close in and ruin her fun. Well, yes, but it's, it's, very unusual for a uh, a female character who is a uh, a supporting character rather than a, a central focus hmm. to be doing stuff that doesn't directly relate to um, plot. When action. we're talking about movies like this, it's very rare that a character is doing stuff that doesn't relate to the actual plot. That's As you true. said before, everything has to happen for the plot and everything for the plot has to happen. Indeed. Uh, but, the, but you're absolutely right. Jennifer Connelly is treated with dignity and uh, outlined as a, 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 a decent, strong, textured female character who's more than just one-dimensional and they're just for the hero to bounce off. Mm, absolutely. So now, that's not to say that there aren't Could you even call Bruce a hero in this? Well, possibly not. Mm. Um, that's not to say that she uh, is not flawed as a character or uh, rather that the presentation of her character is not flawed. Most of She does some head-on backwards stupid stuff occasionally in this. Uh, such as, for example... Taking, assuming that we're going with the idea that this is set up as a realistic relationship and, uh, and these people are having realistic interactions, which for the most part they do, and we've discussed this before, that unreality of plot is not what breaks a film for me. It's unreality of character interaction. Mm. Your ex-partner, a man with breathtaking anger management issues, has exhibited to you physical violence which is something not keen on that particular scene um Do not want. but i'm sure we'll come to that when we discuss the worst aspects of the film because mm-hmm. that definitely falls into that category mm-hmm. this is just a little bit annoying um you are well aware that this guy's issues are all tied up with uh, things that he has repressed from his childhood mm-hmm. you go with him alone to the house in which he grew up, where these repressed memories took place, and proceed to effectively lead him on a kind of guided self-hypnosis wandering around the house just to see what will happen. Oh, yeah, she does. She takes him back to Casa del Banner. She does. And, and say, oh, your, your mum was killed here. Does that, does that do anything for you? While I'm fairly certain that... In terms of moving the plot along, that was a pretty, uh, what's the word? Key moment. Speedy way of doing it. Yeah. Really, I don't think this intelligent woman who... Sensitive as well, not just intelligent. She's actually emotionally sensitive. She's compassionate, she's empathetic, but she is also logical. Mm. And she has seen what Bruce can do when not 
provoked, that's not the right word, but when these things in his head spark off, he's been extremely aggressive and dangerous towards her. I really don't think this is the best way to play out this scenario. You need, well, you need to not be there for a start. He needs to be there with a professional with whom he has no emotional connection so that he can work through whatever he has to work through in a safe space. And it frustrated me that having been presented as the character she was, I didn't think that that Betty would do that. So that really didn't work for me. Mm. So there there are moments where her uh, three-dimensional well-roundedness does fall down. For me, best aspect for me is Hulk himself. I've been waiting to see Hulk delivered in a way that was both faithful to his comic and cartoon incarnation, but moving it forward to something much more, something sympathetic and well-rounded. And since they were going for something that felt more real world, more real world, not entirely real world. There's a hell of a lot of stylization in this film. Uh, Something that felt like it could actually exist and wasn't just a cartoon. See, I kind of wanted them to take comic books seriously because back in the day, as I mentioned this with Spider-Man, we were you know, just coming out of the 90s when comic books were taking a nosedive and the movies had to be for grown-ups because if they were just for kids, they'd be forgotten instantly as, as just you know, pop trash. Things like Green Lantern and uh, Fantastic Four are, are perfect examples of what happens when you just shit them out, stick the uh, characters in there, um, put a bit of a, an adventure spin on it, and then go, right, we'll see you in the sequel, right? If, if you're not going to do anything with your uh, characters, if you're not going to do anything with the premise, there's no point. So I applaud them for actually attempting to do something with this. And Hulk himself, they set out to make a character just as believable as the human actors. And he is. He may look like Shrek. The tech involved in bringing him to the screen may now look dated in comparison to the Avengers and plenty of other more modern stuff. But you get a lot of eye acting. You get a lot of posture acting. You get a lot of facial, tiny little movements. You get a lot of Hulk being reflective. And while he, in the, you know, he goes from rage to lucidity and contemplation. And there are times when he sort of jumps away into the uh, wilderness and then sits in the desert looking at moss and lichen. If you like lichen, my God, there's lots of great sort of close-ups on on very small uh, plant organisms that. Hulk would appear to shift, to feel some sort of kinship with. Maybe he wants to be Moss so no one will bother him. And that I get and that I like. And when he beats up the tanks, it's great fun. And when he jumps and bounds over the canyons, that's glorious. And we never got to see Hulk really doing that in The Incredible Hulk. And we never really get anything peaceful and natural uh, in the Avengers, because it's all chaos and then um, the, the destruction of a city. This is Hulk in nature, and him jumping along is uplifting and wonderful. And it hasn't been replicated since, and I hope that they do it at some point soon. But then he fights a bunch of helicopters, and it's, it just sort of kind of turns into an action sequence at that stage. And that's the Hulk. That's pretty much all the Hulk we really get in the film. He is, he's, what, 13, 14 minutes on screen, really, all told, maybe a little bit longer. And uh, unlike in The Avengers, where uh, the, the fact that Banner is 
always talking about him in the Avengers. You know, he's sort of this the other guy, and he he has it with a he does it with a wry smile on his face, like you know, sort of this guy's going to come out, and you know, things are not going to be fantastic. Um, and it, Mark Ruffalo's delivery in that suddenly the Hulk is a character being spoken of by others in trepidation. Uh, and in The Incredible Hulk, you've got Norton's anxiety, like, this must not happen, this cannot happen. You've got the beeping little heart monitor thing, and the Hulk is this sort of natural disaster that will occur if he doesn't keep himself under control. And this, Banner never really gets a handle on who the Hulk is, who he is in relation to the Hulk, what the Hulk is. He never seems to take any interest in studying his own blood or uh, trying to work out really what is happening to him. He, he seems to sort of wander around in a daze. And so we don't get that relationship between Banner and the Hulk. It's as far as, as far as we're concerned from Banner's point of view, the Hulk is his anger. The Hulk is him. And it's not always as simple as that. Specifically, I would say in this version, the Hulk is his childhood anger it's the the fury and frustration that he felt at four years old i'd say four yeah four four years old when this incident maybe occurred. three uh, no i'm pretty sure oh no you were four it. years old how yeah. can anyone forget that um so this this point in his life where this terrible thing happened and he's blocked it out and that uh single event almost is the uh the force that provides the hulk um but if you look at his face and it's impressive enough that they've managed to do this with relatively primitive cg Mm. because if you look at things like the the physicality of the Hulk, now whether this was a design choice or whether this was just kind of what they were stuck with because of what they could do, he's very, very uh, disproportionate and chunky. Um, he's got huge thighs and they kind of stick out at right angles from his hips and he, he looks wider than he really ought to and he doesn't seem quite able to stand properly. He's He's, he's like a giant baby. Or at least a giant toddler. Mm. And the, his face is very sort of, well, when, when he stops roaring, is very childlike and gentle yeah. and uh, pitiable. Exactly. So it's almost like uh, the source for the Hulk is entirely this cut-off four-year-old who saw this terrible thing and then uh, his, his mind went, everything connected with this... I'm going to put in this box because I can't cope with that. And that is great. That's a fantastic approach to take because that's actually bringing in uh, psychological concepts to uh, uh, a superhero. And in a manner which, I mean, if you think about what inspired Stan Lee to create him in the first place, Frankenstein, Jekyll and Hyde, that the underlying uh, psychological themes in those stories, getting a workover in superhero comics is brilliant. And to bring that into the movie was a really, really good idea. But they don't give him anything else. Because that child was basically cut off at that point, you you then get no almost no interaction between the Bruce that's then growing up um, and that child. And I think that's possibly part of the reason why he seems to feel so alienated by it, um, that it's, it's him 
but it's a side of himself that he knows nothing about and has no connection with. And because he can't really think straight when the Hulk events are going on, he can't learn anything about that side of himself and he can't integrate it. And I think that was, again, to bring the comparison in, that was one of the things that blew me away about in- The Incredible Hulk was that it was the uh, the progress of Banner going from uh, this internalized monster that he resented and took away his self-control um, and was all of the emotions that he didn't want to feel and didn't want to acknowledge that he had, um, but in a more adult way. That that wasn't, although the Hulk in that version is still very childlike, it doesn't seem like a separate entity to the adult Bruce. Mm. And it seems like something that he gradually over the course of the film starts to come to terms with and uh, find ways to relate to and then eventually come to a point where um, he has much more control over these emotions and and where he can point them rather than simply going I don't want to feel them close lid lock ignore he goes right these are a part of me I can't eliminate them but what I can do is direct them and that, to me, is a much healthier way of dealing with anger. Um, and if, if there'd been some kind of progress towards that in Ang Lee's Hulk, I think I would have related to the Hulk himself more. But there didn't seem to be. It was just blob of child anger goes from A to B, throws itself at Dad, end. It didn't throw itself at Dad. Dad threw himself at it. Well, in, in a defensive way. Not, you know throws itself at dad in order let's, to... Let's discuss what happens there at the end because I'm still bewildered after 11 years. <laughs> Bruce himself is one of the weakest aspects of this film uh, played by um, played by Eric Banner who has uh, is capable of incredible performances I think he got this role because of Chopper where he plays a uh, a, a crazy but very charismatic uh, inmate in an Australian prison I think it's actually um, uh, based on a real life guy uh, but if you actually if you see Chopper, he's a completely different character. He's he's kind of a, a cheerful sociopath. In this, oh god, a lot of people have complained that um, Ed Norton's uh, Bruce is whiny, uh, but I'd, I'd say he has good reason to be anxiety ridden over what might happen if the Incredible Hulk comes out. There is no straightforward given reason as to why this Bruce is so unutterably dull. Sweet Heavenly Father, is this a tedious man? I can barely describe him. He's a scientist. <laughs> The, the, the Hulk Gamma situation goes off, uh, he hallucinates a lot, and then he wrestles with the Hulk. I would... Uh, okay, describe Bruce Banner's key characteristics without referencing his anger or relationship with it. 
in this film? Unutterable blandness. That's just, just kind of confirming it. Yeah. <laughs> come come on, actually, actually challenge me on this one. Come on, tell me I'm wrong. I can't. I want to be wrong. I want there to be other depths to this guy. He's, well, this is what I found. He's the guy you want to just change into the Hulk so that something exciting will happen in this film. I don't think I really found that. I just, he was just nothing. Or I wanted him to start thinking about what was going on, reasoning about it. Well, Translate okay. what is actually happening to me. Right, you could argue that that's intentional and actually successful in terms of how they were trying to portray him. Because when you see him and Betty talking about the fact that they've recently split up, she's kind of, in a, in a very jokey way, she kind of needles him about the fact that he's utterly dispassionate and um, that he is uh, non-reactive to almost everything, including her. And that's part of what caused them to, to split up. But the problem is, it's Eric Banner, and I've seen him do performances that had passion in them. And we're talking almost, Nero in Star Trek here. Uh, Nero in Star Trek. It has happened. Don't tell me it hasn't happened. I saw it happen. Um, and also. Um, I don't remember it particularly well, but the guy he played in... Oh, oh God, Troy? I can't think what it's called. He played... Uh, uh, eight, hang on. It wasn't Ajax, was he? I can't remember who... Yeah, was he? Um, Hector. Hector. I think what a Hector tedious film that was as um, well. Jesus Christ. But anyway, either way... He was way, on a roll I've, at that stage. I've seen Eric Banner do other performances, and... There's right. It's it's back to Toby Maguire again. If you're playing a character who has lots of internalized stuff, that's fine. But I need something. I need the tiniest crumb of there is more to this guy than the incredibly well chiseled features. Um, and and the the to he just comes across like cottage cheese. That is the best way I can describe him. For me, he's like vanilla ice cream, not especially good vanilla ice cream. That's I want big chunks of green is. in it. Come on. Uh, it's, it's, right, to go back to what they were trying to do with this film, they're trying to make it a serious relationship drama, which they succeed in, technically. Because he barely references the Hulk and barely really comprehends it, it's almost like just a film about a man who breaks up with a woman but has an explosive, violent temper. And then they kind of paste in bits with the Hulk to say, and this is what it's like if you've got an explosive, violent temper, and then Hulk dogs attack you. Mm. And then that whole end third, when he really turns into Hulk and then only turns back into... Uh, Banner again for a bit so that his dad can agitate the hell out of him Th that basically is the, the film sort of cuts itself off there and any actual character development ceases because it's all about the Hulk from then on so this relationship drama with he, he and Betty never really finds the resolve and the resolution that it really kind of needs all of that comes in the Incredible Hulk plus the fact she never if that's the angle they're treating it with she never 
is given the opportunity to actually respond to the explosive violent temper part because she's Betty and her role is to basically be the beauty to his beast, the the one who calms him down and never runs away from him, no matter how terrified she might be. I was... I mean, I think I think it actually affected you even more than it did me. But the scene where he grabs her round the throat, as Bruce, I might add, not as the Hulk, was incredibly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Alex's guide to unacceptable content in an incredible Hulk picture. Number one, and this is the smallest, but it actually broke it in terms of the box office. Uh, Hulk has absolutely nobody to smash. Now, this is a small one because technically you can make a really good Hulk film without this being the premise, but without anybody to fight, and don't say his dad because that's actually not even a fight. That's a symbolic fight if ever there was one. There's There's no smashing going on, and it's practically a slideshow. And you sure as shit can't say he fights the Hulk dogs. They're not even... That's just critters. And... He fights a military ordinance. People going to see the first emerging superhero films were expecting, hoping for big brawls. And that's what they got in The Incredible Hulk. But for some reason, I don't know why The Incredible Hulk is not more beloved than it actually is. It is the most underrated of all the MCU films, as far as I'm concerned. Just We watched it again today, and... It's it's not perfect, but in terms of delivering the Incredible Hulk, I mean, he could be a little bit greener. But that's really about it. It is a tremendous film. But in this, and I know I'm just sort of boiling it down to just no smashing going on, at the end of The Incredible Hulk, there's a rollicking good brawl where the Hulk fights the Abomination. May I posit that not all Hulk films have to be absolutely accessible to children. Not all Hulk films have to be family films. Not all Hulk films have to involve massive amounts of smashing. But the first one kind of does, on all three counts, really have to be accessible to kids, really has to be accessible to wide audiences, and yes, involve a metric fuck-ton of smashing. Now, you could query my use of the term unacceptable here. However, broad audiences did not accept the film. So in the truest sense of the word, Hulk is unacceptable. That was number one. There are four more points here, which are far more targeted. But when it comes down to it, you stack these four on top of each other and you have a genuinely unsettling film that parents would start shifting in their seats uneasily while they've got little sprogs sat next to them. You, you thought that Spider-Man might be a little bit unsuitable for kids with green goblins' rapey antics. Bust this. Point number two. Deranged David decides to perform, and I quote, a father's work by stabbing his toddler with a kitchen knife to undo his own abominable mistake. Every small child in the audience goes, what? Every parent in the audience goes, even adults with no kids with them at least think to themselves, seriously, in a Hulk film? 
Point number three, directly following on from this, Mrs. Banner is accidentally stabbed to death in front of said toddler. This isn't a film for grown-ups. This is in The Hulk. She, they, they, uh, she's grappling with his father because he wants to stab his baby, and uh, she falls forward and, and like, uh, as he describes, the, you know, this is Nick Nolte in his genuinely not bolted down performance. It's as if the knife and she became one. Oh, so you stabbed your wife? Okay. So that, that's basically another way of saying stabbing happened. I she was, was there. there. You know, she was there. I was present. And uh, yeah, there was almost a poetry to it. Yeah, you fucking nut job. Anyway, um, number four. Point number four. Well, we'll just we'll move on from that whole mother murdered in front of her tiny little child thing, which would make anybody uncomfortable. Number four, Dream Bruce smothers toddler Betty. Now, this one's a little bit more involved because Betty has a dream that her father up and left her in the uh, diner in the late 60s when around about the time when Bruce was uh, orphaned or semi-orphaned, shall we say. Um, And then she's rescued or or at least picked up and helped by uh, the uh, kindly diner owner who as it turns out in her dream is bruce and it's like oh okay that's sweet so i could see why she'd sort of get an attachment and then glaring at us uh as we see through this little girl this little tiny defenseless three-year-old girl's eyes he slowly lowers his hand over her mouth as though to smother and crush this child and every parent in the audience and every adult in the audience and every child in the audience goes oh geez really And if that wasn't enough, point five, post-hulking out, post-pulping the Hulk dogs, Bruce, trying to come to terms with what's just happened, goes, and while Betty's trying to calm him down, grabs her around the throat to viciously throttle her. It's a moment of, like, lashing out, not sure what's going on. It's a moment of of sudden non-premeditated violence, and it's sudden and explosive, and he didn't mean it. And she forgives him immediately, and I take issue with that, because frankly, at that stage, she should be like, okay, right, you know what, I'm out at this stage. Uh, I know that uh, you need me right now, Bruce, and I will I will do everything I can to be there here for you, but I'm going to be here for you at arm's length, okay? I can't actually cuddle you if you're going to make with the strangling, okay, Bruce? So get a fucking grip. I would say this. Also, relation- Ang Lee, get a fucking grip. And don't have Bruce get a fucking grip. I would say this in relation to that particular scene. A, it's not so much that Betty forgives him immediately for it as Betty appears to make no reference to this ever having happened. Forgets it. Forgets. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Completely move on. Never even brings it up. Doesn't make her uncomfortable around him. Remember that time when you strangled me? That was weird. Leads, in fact, to her going to this house that is likely to provoke massive emotional reaction, as my aforementioned point. Secondly, the whole point of the Hulk is that that is how Bruce expresses anger, which he will otherwise not allow himself to express. If you look at what happens to Ed Norton when he reverts to Bruce's form, he is usually unconscious, shaking like a mad thing, totally... Defenseless child. Absolutely. Bewildered. I mean, he's bewildered in this, but he doesn't suddenly become a... 
absolutely. I'll kill you, scum! When the anger comes out, he transforms. That's the whole point. That's why he what has the life? Hulk. It, it just felt... Aside leaving, from monumentally aside, uncomfortable. Yeah, leaving aside the massively problematic imagery anyway it and just felt really wrong sudden loss of any sympathy for bruce mm. for a lot of people i'm sure a lot of people will be like oh you know that happens all the time with me and my wife <laughs> and, and that's fine you go ahead and strangle all you want but uh, for, for, for me and for i would imagine a lot of people they were like right you know what don't care what happens to bruce now just turn to the hulk please not back into that guy he's he's horrible not endorsing strangling whenever you want, for the record. Yeah, um, that, that was sarcasm, <laughs> folks. If you're strangling, it's Seen not Seen as right. we're announcing it now. Um, <laughs> that was sarcasm. Um, but yeah, aside from the, the, the problematic imagery of it in the first place, it just felt really wrong for him to do that as Bruce. Mm-hmm. Or even as the Hulk. If he'd started to Hulk out and started to strangle Betty for a start, I'd be like, well, why isn't her next snapping like a dry reed but secondly you lose sympathy for the hulk at that stage true just i mean i know it sounds reductive but see if you could leave strangling out of your hulk films well it's never does it have to be in there at all right okay i'm going to ask a question it's not being daring it's just you know it's I'm going to ask a question here, and I genuinely don't know the answer to this. Mm. So if you if you could inform... Has the Hulk ever strangled Betty? Well, has he ever attacked Betty? Because it seems to me... Most Dude, in the ultimate, he was trying to rape Betty to death. That was Brilliant. Mark Miller. He's a sick puppy. He's a horrible person. Right, okay. Um, I, I don't think he wanted to rape Betty to death. He just wanted to rape Betty. And then, you know, he was eating people and killing people, and that's Mark Miller, and that's the ultimate. And the ultimate is horrible. Um... But, I mean, you know, we've been discussing Hank Pym uh, on the, on the uh, forum today. And, uh, you know, back in the Ultimates, he was beating the shit out of Jan. And there was a whole domestic violence thing, the Wasp. And, uh, yeah, that was fucking sickening. And, uh, but in Earth 616, the original Marvel thing, uh, you know, there was some a miscommunication between writer and uh, artist. And what was supposed to be, uh, get away from me, Jan, I've just had enough. And flinging his arms up in... Uh, uh, a rage of just you know desperation and frustration turned into a, a rather uh, what would be the term miscommunicated, very vicious direct right cross to Jan's face. Brilliant. So yeah, and that's considered something that really shouldn't have happened in the Marvel universe. So again, with the strangling, well, not coming- acceptable for a Hulk film, not new. Coming back to well, the idea. It would be acceptable for a Hulk film somewhere way down the line where they just going for the family angle had sort of, you know, worn itself out. And maybe you're making a much more grounded, not even grounded, much darker, nastier. Um, this ain't your mama's Hulk. Basically, I've said this to you already. Um, you know how Hancock is a Superman film without actually being about Superman, and it allows you to explore that side of things with a drunk, useless wreck. Mm. They this this film should have been a Hulk style film where a scientist is 
irradiated and turns into a huge hulking beast that just happens to be very similar, like almost litigation worthy to the Incredible Hulk. Um, but this should not have been a Hulk film. This, with its core content, should not have been a Hulk film. They could have done Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. And it would have been uh, like a modern day version of Jekyll and Hyde. And yeah, the the strangling totally works with Jekyll and Hyde. That is fine. You do what the hell you like with Jekyll and Hyde. You're not supposed to like Dr. Jekyll. You're not supposed to like Mr. Hyde. You sure as shit are not supposed to like Mr. Hyde. But the Hulk for your first film really needs to be for kids. And they fucked it up. And they fucked it up so badly that they also fucked The Incredible Hulk because people didn't come back to the cinema after the strangling and what the fuck went on with the original Hulk. They fucked it up so bad. Sorry to keep swearing. I'm just angry. And you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. They messed it up so badly that there was a prejudice against it. So everyone went to see Iron Man. They went, that's brilliant. That's what we want to see. Incredible Hulk, that's old news. I don't care about that. And thus it remains the most underrated of all the MCU films. Sorry to shout. Sorry to get so you know passionate about it, but um, people should see it. Edward Norton's amazing. I think people have seen it in retrospect, but um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not arguing in favour of uh, Incredible Hulk. Just that these decisions have actually had a knock-on effect that it's taken the Avengers to recover from. And even then, they still don't know whether to do a solo Hulk film. I hope this is an outdated statement. And at Comic-Con this year, they've announced a film for all the family called Hulk Smash. The premise of Hulk Smash is thus. The Mark Ruffalo banner working with Tony Stark, tries to work on a way to get Smart Hulk out of him. The Hulk that you see at the beginning is in the classic purple ripped trousers and he's all sort of the Savage Hulk and he's all sort of smashing stuff. And he's the Hulk that all the kids want to see. But you know he's a goodie, right? And then halfway through... You know why? Because he doesn't strangle people. Yeah. After the first act, when he gets a hold of himself and his work with Stark takes hold... He's able to become Smart Hulk. So he retains most of Banner's intellect. In fact, I don't think Smart Hulk's got almost all of it, as I recall. Uh, he retains the strength, not as much as Savage Hulk, but he's got, you know, quite a lot of Hulk bulk. And so through the film, it's like Hulk trying to sort of deal with being a celebrity now. Suddenly he's the Hulk that can go on talk shows. And of course, let's face it, the Red Hulk turns up. Now, the Red Hulk is Thunderbolt Ross. He wants to bring Banner back into the spotlight and show him up for the shit that he believes him to be at his core. So there's a big fight and Smart Hulk cannot cut it. And Smart Hulk gets the living crap beaten out of him and then gets clapped in irons. And to face down Red Hulk without the Avengers' help, Smart Hulk has to let go of Banner and let go of that thing that he really, really wants, which is to be accepted, which is to be adored. And he has to go back to being the Hulk that everybody knows, the Savage Hulk, and it feels like a loss. And then he fights with uh, Red Hulk, and he beats Red Hulk and uh, smashes Red Hulk. Thunderbolt Ross gets clapped in irons, taken away by S.H.I.E.L.D., blah, blah, blah. But we feel sorry for Hulk, 
and uh, then comes back to Banner, and Banner works with uh, Stark again to maybe see if they can find some sort of happy medium, because now he doesn't have that assurance anymore. But it feels like an evolution of the Hulk story, because we have to keep moving forwards with this. Hulk has to keep changing. But either way, if they keep it balanced right, you can get a truly satisfying, crowd-pleasing, intelligent, compassionate, even tear-jerking movie. Pixar could do it. And Disney could do it. So soldier Ant-Man, bring us Hulk smash. One could argue that Disney have already done it. Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, back to Ang Lee's Don't Make Me Ang Lee Hulk. I, I promised myself I wouldn't make that joke, but here we go. Right, General Ross, as I mentioned just now, is actually one of the best things in this. He's uh, played by Sam Elliott, as opposed to William Hurt in The Incredible Hulk. Uh, and your theory was that they were actually trying to make him more sympathetic. He's very guarded against Betty, and um, he isn't anywhere near as uh, unscrupulous as Hurt's uh, Ross. And seems to be approaching this from an altruistic point of view. Although he is aggressive with Bruce, he seems to have his heart just about in the right place. So they seem to have transposed all of his negative aspects into the character of Talbot. Now, what did you think of Talbot, played by Josh Lucas? Um, By the way, antagonized the shit out of Mark Ruffalo in the excellent film You Can Count On Me. It's a small world full of hulks. Did he? Yeah. He was the deadbeat um, dad that uh, uh, Mark Ruffalo took his uh, nephew to come and see without mentioning it. Oh, my God. I Just everything about him that. suggests sleazy deadbeat dad. Yes. that's the, the, Unfortunately, poor uh, Josh Lucas just looks like that kind of awful shit you want to see punched by the Hulk. Mm, that's, that's one way of putting it. I mean, ultimately, Tolbert is... He's, he's the capitalist with the shifty eyes again, isn't he? Yes. It, it's he has he no... starts to like electrocute banner at one point saying you know if, if uh, it's win-win for me either i electrocute you to the point where the hulk comes out and then we uh, people get to we, then the squad come in shoot you and i get to carve bits off you that's great or maybe i'll kill you and it's like he's he's beyond a cartoon at this stage they set out to make an animated character more realistic than the humans well they succeeded if you count Talbot is one of the humans. Carry on, sorry. Well, no, you pretty much summed up what I was going to say. (laughs) He's not... Betty, they made a a brilliantly realised three-dimensional person. They appear to have used whatever three dimensions they had available for her and didn't have anything left for Talbot. He, he has, he barely has one dimension. He's, you know, this uh, idea of privatizing and he's all corporation-y and all he's interested in is what he can get out of, um, out of Bruce financially. And his company is called Atheon. Nice. Reminiscent of atheist, implying <laughs> here is a man who believes in nothing. Who believes in nothing, Lebowski, nothing. 
must be exhausting. Um, but Oh, there's a link. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I got it. Sam Elliott was in The Big Lebowski. Of course he was. So, yeah. So, having, having made him... Oh, such... and, 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 and um, Jeff Bridges was Obadiah Stane. And, and Steve Buscemi was originally going to be Bruce Banner. It would have been funny looking. To clarify, atheists are people who believe that God or gods or other supernatural beings are man-made constructs, myth and legends, or who believe that these concepts are not meaningful. Nihilism, as in The Big Lebowski, is the belief that all values are baseless and that nothing can be known or communicated. It is often associated with extreme pessimism and a radical scepticism that condemns existence. A true nihilist would believe in nothing and have no loyalties and no purpose other than perhaps an impulse to destroy. So... I mean, pretty much the abomination. We can't not talk about the editing, can we? It's rather impossible not to notice. Uh, they went out of their way to make the whole thing feel like a comic book. So uh, anyone who's seen it will know that it, it's sort of, uh, it's got, you get a shot and then that shot is sidelined and you get another shot and there's sort of various, uh, like, it's like split screen 70s, but then it keeps zooming in and out and, and like you know, the, 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 the cuts suddenly you get something changes color and it becomes something else that's in another frame. It's, it's actually really quite, I mean, artistically speaking, it's arresting. It's interesting. It's, um, I, I suppose it's the same sort of lively editing style as say Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Mm. Um, directed by Edgar Wright, not directing Ant-Man probably shouldn't have been in a Hulk film. If it was going to be in a Hulk film, shouldn't have been in this Hulk film probably deserves to be in a lighter tone movie. It's because ultimately with graphic novels, what they deliver you is, uh, you know, straightforward panels and they try to give you the story with as little distraction as possible. Occasionally you get a big page with like something big happening, but it's not like nineties comics where it was splash page after splash page after action, splash page and, and crazy, you know, segues from, from to different panels, graphic novels, which is what this is in its script are not super elaborate like that. This is like a big rambunctious comic but the content doesn't match it. So again, brave attempt at an interesting editing style and no, very few other comic book movies have attempted to do this. Some would say that the, the, the very framework of a comic is uh, storyboards that allow you to then replicate each panel on screen without actually making a meal of the fact that you're going from panel to panel to panel. But again, I'm glad a film attempted this. It just shouldn't have been the first Hulk film. So yeah, overly dark and uncomfortable subject matter. That's a one. Check that one off your list. Uh, no real, actual, genuine physical conflict in a film about someone who wants to smash things. So there's no catharsis of smashing the right thing if that makes any sense. Basically, when he smashes the abomination in Incredible Hulk, that's the smashing that he's supposed to be for. When Steve points his finger and goes on Hulk, smash. That's smashing with a purpose. That's number two. And number three, editing that makes it feel a lot lighter in tone than it actually is. Yeah. And four, don't put Nick Nolte in your movie. Gonna go ahead and say that. The man's off his trolley. Yeah. And he's off his trolley in a kind of a Nick Cage way. 
Like, I mean, he's entertaining in how crazy he is, but he kind of messes up the whole movie because everyone else is being totally straight-faced about it. And he comes on, and at one point, after Bruce, like, at the end, they go, right, you've just stopped being the Hulk. You caused $67 million worth of damage. But your dad said he'd turn himself in if if we gave you 12 minutes alone with him. (laughs) And we don't think that there's anything bad that can happen if we do. So here we go. Here's this guy who's basically caused all of this incredible fury to be repressed in your life. Here's the guy who murdered your mother. There's every reason in the world not to put you in a room with him. We're going to do it anyway because movie or because comic or because climax. Whatever their reasons, none of them make any sense. Especially not in a film in which you've already laid out your intentions as being to make it realistic in terms of personal interaction and drama. There is such a narrative dissonance between what we see and what they appear to be intending. It's a, it's a cocktail of like carrot juice and Tabasco sauce and milk and strawberry syrup. <laughs> It's like four things that really don't work. And Nick Nolte is the Tabasco sauce, by the way. And gamma-irradiated blood, um, (laughs) just for a chaser. Um, And Stanley would drink it and go, whoa. Indeed. Stan wants more juice. I think when it comes to Nick Nolte's performance, the, the... Variety, and it is a performance. It is. The variety of Hollywood crazy, in inverted commas, that he delivers is so ridiculous. It's, you know that bit in Jerry Maguire where he's, uh, he's on his way out of the building and I'm he says, I'm not going to do what you think, think I'm going to do, do, which, which is, is just, just flip out. out. Right, Nick Nolte is like that from start to finish. You wonder how he got a government grant to be a scientist. I wonder how he gets through the day without putting his head through a window, frankly. He was in jail for, or or the lunatic asylum for 30 years or something. And then he gets out and then becomes the absorbing man somehow. It's never... Also Zach's. I don't think it's ever actually confirmed why he's loose and taking over. Oh God, that was it. When Betty first meets him, he's cleaning the hallways at the university. Like a crazy old hobo. And she says, well, no, 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 like like a person who's doing a janitor's job. <laughs> and she says to him, where's person whose name I can't remember, but obviously the guy who normally cleans the floors. And he goes, and he says, give him a break. Dead. And then you cut to the guy in the cupboard and he's been broken into. Well, no, he just <laughs> says he's dead. He's in dead. a way that suggests he killed him. Yeah. And Jennifer Connelly goes, oh, well, I'm an excellent judge of character. I'm certainly quite pally with Talbot. I do like my dad. And you seem quite a good chap. Yeah, so Betty does have some flaws. She's a shitty, shitty judge of character. Well, no, she's... She also is fine with Bruce. This is the thing. The thing, those elements of her are not consistent with the character that they've created. And I refuse to hold her responsible for that as a person because it doesn't mesh with the things about her that do make sense. So, yeah. So at the very end, when they basically go, right, we want to agitate the hell out of Bruce, stick his dad in there. Um, he, he, Bruce starts roaring and crying. You killed my mom. Rah! And um, he, he sort of, you know, pats him on the back and goes, yeah, yeah. You cried out. Cried out, you little bitch. 
and he like he squeals like a baby. Audience laughs nervously. Like, is he supposed to be doing this? Is this ad libbed? Is he actually crazy? And then he goes. Oh, I'm fucking done with this. And bites on a power cable. Like, he's, like, he's li- just watch the point where Nick Nolte decides he's done with this movie. <laughs> and it's that. <laughs> he's like, I'm up out this bitch. Peace! See ya! And he bites on a giant power cable and then turns into Zax. <sighs> Is Zax a Dr. Seuss character? No, that's the Snorlax. Okay. Oh, sorry, it's three Zs and an X. <laughs> Zax is a fictional character that appears in comic books published by Marvel. He, he, he's a man made of electricity. Right, so this, this end sequence, this is basically after the Hulk has been poked and prodded enough to grow to 19 feet tall. And there's a, like, he, he's, he's like 10 feet tall, and then they, they shoot bullets at him, and he grows even bigger to nearly 20 feet tall. And then they pointed out in Incredible Hulk's making of, they made him too big in that one. He is disproportionately sized to a human. And so all of that action sequence, when he's beating up the tanks, um, I mean, with the tanks, you can see roughly how big he is, and there's a certain amount of conflict going on when, when it's uh, stationary. There's a point, actually, when he, he wrenches the, uh, uh, the cannon off the front of a tank, and then he turns it into a baseball bat, and he's sort of walking along up to the tank, tapping it on his hand. It's, like, it's basically like he's just like gone around to the back of his car, gotten a, a, a crowbar, and is approaching the car of somebody who just pranged him. It's like, oh, man, you just fucking... And then he's about to smack the tank with this cannon, and he just sort of throws it on the ground. It's like, oh. And that is a really good microcosm for Hulk. It's like, it's gonna be... Oh. Okay, well, that looked like it was about to be something. But then when he goes bounding around in the Grand Canyon and jumping all over the place and then fights a bunch of helicopters, because it's out in the middle of nowhere, nobody can get hurt. That's good. But there's no scale to it either. It's a green monster fighting helicopters of undetermined size on rocks. Which, when it comes down to it, especially when you've seen it once or twice, is tedious. So then he goes into San Francisco after some plane antics. And you asked how many times someone's been taken up to the lower atmosphere and then dropped. Uh, three. This, Iron Man, and Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. Okay. Maybe more. Um, it seemed like there'd been a lot. Oh, and uh, there's also Superman when he uh, throws the uh, giant kryptonite like uh, rock formation in Superman Returns and then just sort of drops back down. Remember that? Yes. So after he crashes down, he he sees Betty and then Beauty kills the beast and he sort of is, his heart is stayed and he uh, becomes Bruce again. And that's when they decided their infinite wisdom to set him up with his dad. So then his dad turns into a being of pure electricity and the army go, oh my God, how did this happen under our watchful eye? Well, I don't know. You gave him everything he needed. And then Bruce turns into the Hulk again and escapes, as he would. And then something sort of happens. It's kind of a fight. And you know how I get off on these symbolic conflicts? Mm. And I write big, long essays about it. I can't write anything about this because what actually happens 
His dad says, you're not my real son. Well, Bruce, you're not my real son. This thing, this my creation is my real son. I just wanted to get him out of you, and I want to take his power. It's what I deserve. And he's crazy like that. Crazy like a fox. And he wants to take uh, Bruce's power and, and uh, well, Hulk's power. Bruce Hulk's. And Bruce says, take it. Take it all. And he goes, oh, no, it's too much power. It turns into a big bubble and explodes. And that's it. What does that mean on any level? What's actually going on there, symbolically, psychologically? A young boy grapples with his father, who's been a terrible disappointment to him, for a start as he killed his mum. And his dad says, how much have you got? And he goes, more than you can handle. And his dad goes, ah, and explodes. I can't write about that. What's going on? There's, um, I was going to say there's some nice uh, elemental CG work yeah. going on, but it's he's, not particularly inventive. Yeah, Jim Ross agrees and allows David to talk to Bruce. David tells Bruce that he wants to see his real son, the Hulk. Bruce refuses to, trans- to transform, and David grabs a nearby power wire, mutating into a large power-absorbing monster. Bruce becomes the Hulk, and the two leap into a forest and do battle. Mm. After a fashion, the fight takes him to a lake. Hulk desperately uses his strength to destroy his father, but David freezes the Hulk in the water and taunts him, trying to get Bruce to release his power. Finally, Bruce unleashes the full power of the Hulk, who overwhelms his father and causes him to swell into a huge, unstable mushroom-shaped form. At the same time, General Ross detonates a gamma bomb on them. Oh, I didn't know about that. I thought that was just an explosion. David is destroyed, and when Bruce, unconscious at the bottom of the lake, dreams of his father tucking him into bed as a child and wishing him sweet dreams. Did you remember that bit? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember that, that bit. See that that whole thing about trying to get the Hulk to release his power, and then the Hulk does release his power. Right, the Hulk's power is to punch things, smash things. The Hulk releasing his power should technically have been to pummel David, which he couldn't at that point because he was a cloud. That whole streams of of gamma something coming off. Bruce off the Hulk that absorbing person absorbs and then explodes that seemed entirely out of place to me the Hulk does not have energy beams his gamma radiation doesn't cause other things to become irradiated or at least if it does that's not something I've ever seen explored although it may well have happened um, but the idea that his his uh, you know the secret weapon to him is that there's all this stored up energy in his cells that the right uh, conduit could draw out of him seems what where how not Hulk I mean am I wrong is that something I've missed no yeah it, it it does seem like a misinterpretation of of, uh, of what that the Hulk is but even even if he was about energy whether he's about energy or about smashing. Symbolically, what's his father asking him for? He's asking him for the power. And basically, he's his father was originally in his original experiment, experiments trying to harness immortality. He actually wrote in his crazy notes, um, re, re, regeneration, regeneration is, is immortality. Basically, he was cutting up a bunch of starfish and they were regenerating, and he wanted to be able to live forever, which meant he was crazy back then. And it's the usual. Like, 
I can't relate to and characters who want this are boring to me. A man who wants to live forever and have ultimate power and just carry on living forever. There's no complexity there. And if they're crazy, then they're just somebody that you can't see the rest of the world helping to get where they need to be. See, you've used the word crazy to refer to him many, many times. I... I says in the uh, show notes on, uh, on Wikipedia that he's mentally unstable. Yeah, see, there's, there's no... I knew I was doing a father's work, meaning to stab his toddler with a knife. No, Sharon, he's crazy. He's crazy. No, I know, but what I mean is... Being crazy's fine, he's danger crazy. He's... Template crazy. This is what I'm. This is what I'm trying to get across. He's Hollywood crazy. He's. We can't be bothered to define a decent character with levels and reasons and motives for why he behaves this way. So crazy. Yeah. So Bruce is defined by some of his father's actions, hmm. and that is the character of Bruce. But since we failed to characterise David as anything other than Fruit Loop. I mean, you. Bruce you has could, no character to himself. You could argue that his behaviour towards Bruce, in many ways, is uh, representative of him being unable to connect with any people whatsoever. He does not see Bruce as his child. He sees Bruce as a, a possession mistake. of his. Yeah. Uh, something that he made and therefore he can do with whatever he wants. Now, there are real psychological complexes in which people think this about their children yeah. and in which they, you know, they think this about people that they're in relationships with, that that person is their property and therefore they can do what they want with it. Um, but to... To use that as a defining characteristic in your development of a character and then go, well, what we're going to have this character do now is turn into a mushroom cloud. There's a bit of a leap of progression there. You are abandoning all semblance of dealing with a human being. And as you say, because a lot of Bruce's characterization is very dependent on his father, when you strip all of that characterization away and just turn him into big thing that causes what? Power suck. Causes movie suck. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a fizzle. It's a damp squib. <clears throat> so they set out to make something deeply psychological and dark and uh, involved and it ended up disengaging itself and not resolving any of the psychological aspects. In fact, no, I can tell you exactly what it is that they've abandoned. When you set up a father who has that level of um, delusional anger within him, which he expresses towards uh, his child and in wanting to kill his child and then in accidentally killing his wife, um, when you set all of that up and then imply that the child then grows up with massive repressed anger issues of their own, then 
it would seem that there is something to say there about having witnessed and grown up in an environment with a massively angry person. You internalize that and replicate it in your own life. But they never have a follow through of the causes of Bruce's anger, what element of himself that anger represents. He dreams that uh, the door of the bedroom in which his parents were fighting and then immediately came out and resulted in the death of his mother opens and the Hulk is behind that door. So his anger is personified uh, as, as something external to him that his father effectively infected him with. And then uh, when uh, the Hulk falls, Bruce dreams that he's shaving and then he uh, wipes the uh, mirror and the Hulk is behind it and it smashes through and grabs him and says, puny human. The Hulk is super aggressive and a threat to Banner in this. But what you're making the Hulk in that scenario is an entirely separate entity, entirely down to whatever his father put in a test tube and injected into himself. And therefore, there's an element of it in his father and there's an element of it in him, but it is alien to him. Hmm. Why is his reaction not fear rather than anger? And when uh, uh, Bruce says, uh, you found me to Betty, and she says, you weren't that hard to find. He says, yes, I was. That implies that somewhere deep down in, in, in the Hulk, Bruce was way, way lost. But that the, the Hulk isn't Bruce. Mm. As opposed to the Hulk being a, uh, a massive, massive part of him that he hides it. Imagine, I suppose, imagine trying to hide a beach ball inside a tennis ball. And then occasionally it just bursts out and then the tennis ball rattles around inside. But they're one. That's, that's the point. Now, again, you can do a Hulk film like this, but you have to really know what you're doing and you have to have a really solid resolution. This does not have a really solid resolution. It resolves nothing. And Bruce, at the end, seems to be trying to help people in South America, which is a nice lead on to the incredible Hulk. So you could say in, an, in a uh, different universe, they sort of ended up going in the same sort of path. Uh, and he's a doctor, but he's going to use the Hulk for good, which sort of then leads on to the themes of the incredible Hulk. But it's not like he's over anything. It's not like he's resolved anything with his father. I mean, basically it's kind of like every angry young man wants to kill his father. Bruce did. And now he's okay. Do you know what it reminds That's me of? That's a really unsettling message to end on. I've just realised what it brings to mind for me. You know the scene in Spectacular Spider-Man where Peter is fighting the symbiote and he's in his own mind, but it's as if he's inside the symbiote because the, it's, it, yeah. everything is black and it's, it's this separate entity that he is now this tiny... Thing within having to fight his way out of it and that makes the Hulk this enveloping um, as I say alien creature that wants to swallow Bruce and what Bruce is trying to do is get out of it and that precludes the one of what I see as being one of the central themes of the Hulk, which is the idea of um, an internal rage 
finding a way out because you will not allow it any expression. You will not allow it any freedom of reign and therefore it will punch its way out whenever it can. If it's an entirely separate thing that you want to be apart from and can separate from and distance yourself from, then that runs roughshod over that particular exploration. Mm. So what's it like actually watching it now? How does it feel in 2014, post, post-Incredible, post-Avengers, with, at, let's imagine, one Hulk-related film that isn't Avengers at some point in the future? I bloody hope so. How does this Ang Lee's Hulk now work when you sit down and watch it? For me, it's very easy to detach from those other films. Um, one thing that I found when watching The Incredible Hulk was that my brain kept overlaying Mark Ruffalo's face over Ed Norton, um, which is no detriment to Ed Norton. His performance was absolutely brilliant, but Mark Ruffalo is now the, the slightly older, more together version of the Hulk for me. Um, so it was kind of like seeing a younger, skinnier Mark Ruffalo doing all this stuff. Uh, but they integrate very well. And that's possibly one of the reasons why uh, I, I kind of went with the flow of The Incredible Hulk more, because it's part of the, the MCU, which I love. Uh, and Ang Lee's Hulk is very definitely not. It's like watching, I don't know, I can't even say Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films, because Spider-Man is, as yet, still not integrated into the MCU. It does feel a bit like uh, if Spider-Man was part of the MCU, then going back and watching Amazing Spider-Man, although I you know, far prefer Amazing Spider-Man to Hulk, uh, it has that same kind of you have special blood and it's all because of your father uh, and there's all this sort of mystery oh, of your birth yeah. crap going yeah. on. And in fact, they've even got the idea of, you know, your father tested on himself and as a result, his sperm carries stuff that's made you magic. Special DNA, yeah. So yeah, it feels like um, uh, going, you know, going to an alternate Hulk, which is not something. I mean, it's it's, it's boring. It's slow. It's visually appealing at times, and it it it, it sort of potters along. And so it's interesting, but boring at the same time. It's a weird combination. And then when the Hulk comes along, it's the best part of the film, but it's also, I suppose, less accomplished than his appearances later on. Hmm. Although you are right about that whole bounding across the wide open landscape thing. You get us. You get a very vague. You get a very rare glimpse of if the Hulk was left alone to just sit down in nature and not be hounded and pestered by the, let's face it, the townspeople carrying torches and pitchforks, uh, then he would be at peace. He would be calm. He would not smash. He seems to fit in that world. It seems like, you know, the the natural world is big enough for there to be a place for him in it. Yeah. So they they harness the tragedy there and the the, the look on his face and the little um, moments with Betty, those are still really good. The Hulk dogs are abominable. There's this... There's a bit in uh, Twisted Toy Fair Theatre where uh, the Mego Hulk uh, hands an Ewok back to, I think it was Spider-Man, in a bag, and the bag is, is dripping blood. And he, he says, sadly, Hulk pet fuzzy too hard, fuzzy pop. And that's 
something that's really stuck with me since then. The idea that of, of Mego Hulk is this sort of sweet-natured, hapless buffoon who's always too rough with the things that he cares about and ends up make, you know, making terrible mistakes. That, that's always sort of played into an aspect of the Hulk with me. That he's, he's, it, it plays on the idea of him as this hapless toddler. But when he's fighting the Hulk dogs and Fuzzy Pop, I can't not think that. But it actually frustrates me watching it for the um, reasons that I mentioned before, in that they botched the introduction of Hulk in the cinema so... It wasn't so badly, but just that they did it in such a way that nobody really wanted to see Hulk anymore. It was like, right, that's what you got for me? Nah, I, I, I can probably miss Hulk from now on. And this, this guy went from being the second most recognizable uh, Marvel property after Spider-Man to being... Maybe maybe not less recognizable, but sure as hell a lot less bankable than someone like, say, Iron Man or even Captain America and Thor are now way more bankable than uh, the Hulk. At least adjusted for 2008. Now, maybe after the Avengers, people will be a little kinder to him. I can only hope so, because there is something very appealing about the character of the Hulk. It's almost like people not liking him is is right and proper. He's supposed to be the underdog. Banner, by It's too dangerous. You should have revealed the secret of the gamma ray to us. Quiet, Igor. Hello, General Ross. Why the delay? What are you waiting for? Are you testing that bomb or not? Precautions must be taken. We're tampering with powerful forces. Don't lecture me, Banner. Just speed it up. With me in charge, instead of a milksop like you, this test would be over by now. Oh, Daddy, don't be so unfair. I'm sure he knows what he's doing. Keep out of this, Betty. It's man talk. In the grand scheme of things, he actually ranks lower than uh, the Fantastic Four in terms of box office. What? Both of those films made uh, made more. Okay. How much did it make in terms of um, comparison to its own budget? Um, it cost 137 million, made 245 million. So not quite doubled. Yeah. So once Dis- you take dismal box office, yeah, once you take advertising into account, that's not going to leave them with much, is it? Fantastic Four cost 100 million, made 330. Mm. That's considerably more, although still relatively dismal. Fantastic Four two 130 million, made 289 million, so it made less, and people were tired of it at this stage. Um, the Incredible Hulk uh, cost 150 million, made 263. Mm-hmm. So again, made less than either of the. Um, Fantastic Four films, and only a bit more than the original Hulk. So this told Marvel straight off, this guy cannot work on his own. Now, maybe the She-Hulk film could give him a sort of a duo thing. Yeah. I think She-Hulk should be able to work on her own. Well, if you put them together, it does kind of reinforce the idea that they're supposed to be a couple. Which they're patently not. (laughs) 
But at the same time, you can't really do a She-Hulk film without Hulk at least turning up a bit. Well, yeah. So why not just make it a duo thing? But then again, that's like, again, that's open admission that the guy doesn't work on his own and she doesn't work on her own. Ah, Hulk is never on his own because he's always with Banner. Well, she's always with Jessica Walters. Well, there you go then. Jennifer Walters. If that's a veiled criticism about me, I won't hear it and I won't respond to it. My point being that if you want to show uh, the interaction of the central figure with somebody else, it's there. The dynamic is there in their relationship with their alter ego. I'm trying to think of... You're splitting hairs here when it comes down to it. Marvel are looking at Hulk and how he's fared on his own. I know. I know. People aren't going to see a Bruce Banner film. No, I understand that, but all I mean I would, is, frankly, if it's Mark Ruffalo. All I mean is, if you look at the other heroes, how they interact with the other element of themselves is not as significant with anybody as it is with Hulk. Absolutely. Spider-Man does not hate Peter Parker. Truth is... Tony Stark does not resent Iron Man. I am Iron Man. <laughs> Anyway, anything else? No. Okay. That will do it for Ang Lee's Hulk. And I realised this week that this episode marks the eighth year of my being in the podcasting game. I started all the way back on April 25th, 2007 with Digital Cowboys Episode 1, which I will be making available via the Patreon feed for our closest supporters. It's probably terrible by today's standards. Hello and welcome to Digital Cowboys, episode 1, dated 25th of April 2007. This is a discussion podcast focusing on what movies, video games, music and internet sites have caught the eyes, ears and fingers of myself and my co-hosts. My name is Alex Shaw, to my right I have Paul Shotton and to my left Tony Atkins. So guys, how you doing? Good. Yeah, good. This week we're talking about Guitar Hero 2, Sunshine and Idiocracy, amongst many other things, and the latest YouTube videos, which have caught our eyes. Eight years, guys. Eight. That's 432 official shows, 209 digital cowboys, 161 digital gonzo, and 62 digital drift so far. 2,920 days I've been on clock trying to make the best movies, TV, and video games chat podcast in existence. Now, We Hate Movies did something cool to celebrate their 200th episode, and I'm totally going to do the same thing. So over the next week, you should tweet your favourite moments from my shows over the years with the hashtag 8YearsOfAlex. So for example, just off the top of my head, at Digital Drift UK, the goddamn hilarious Alien Resurrection episode, and in quotes, Alien DNA. Hashtag eight years of Alex. That's all one word and the number eight. And I will retweet them across the board and maybe read out some of the best on next week's show. Next week, we have a very special treat for you as we discuss with Bob Chipman, Paris Lilly and Joe Cunningham, which are the seven most important superhero movies of all time. The week after that, we're talking Avengers Age of Ultron. Then we start the Jurassic Park reviews. We love you. Come to our Patreon and support the shows. And a big thank you, as always, to our special sponsors this month. That's Nick Grugin, Joel Robinson, Russell Osborne, Maureen Foley, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, Lorraine Chisholm, Livio Delacruz, Scott Corzine, and Erish Traverse. 
Thank you guys so, so much and everybody else who is supporting us. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And Neural Handshake Shake. Complete. Shake.